This episode of Last Things First is brought to you by CISO's Stand-Up Streaming Festival. Featuring 90 comics in 12 weeks, CISO's Stand-Up Streaming Festival is loaded with new stand-up comedy, including exclusive specials from Jenna Friedman, Janine Garofalo, Nick Thune, and Joey Coco Diaz. A new special premieres every week, with more exclusive comedy dropping throughout the festival. To watch all this comedy and much more, go to CISO.com and start your one-month free trial. It's only $3.99 per month after that. In addition to the Stand-Up Festival... CISO has original series including Bajillion Dollar Properties, Take My Wife, and Harmon Quest, plus an extensive library of British comedy, classic series, and late night, including every episode of Saturday Night Live, right up to current episodes, available the morning after they air. Again, go to CISO.com, that's S-E-E-S-O dot com, to start your one-month free trial and get exclusive access to CISO's stand-up streaming festival. Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Before we ever heard about Trevor Noah in America, Lois Ogola was the star of his own TV satire in South Africa, Late Night News with Lois Ogola. He appeared in a PBS documentary in 2014 hosted by The Daily Show's Hassan Minaj called Stand Up Planet. And now in 2016, Gola is ready for his global close-up. His first stand-up special live in New York is the first solo comedy special presented by Vimeo. And Gola sat down with me just after the New York Comedy Festival to talk about his journey and how to create your own comedy scene no matter where you are in the world. So let's get to it! So, Loiso, um, thank you for spending part of your American trip with me. Thank you for talking to me. So, last things first. Let's thank each other. <laughs> let's start by thanking each other. Well, my, sh- my podcast is Last Things First, so it's good to start with you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm out of here. Good night. Bye. <laughs> so, last night you had a showcase to preview your Vimeo special. Yes, sir. And you said that this this wasn't quite how you had imagined your comedy breakthrough in America happening. Well, what, how did you? How no, no, did no, you? No. How uh, did I, you what imagine? I meant, what I meant was the platform wasn't a traditionally comedy platform. Right. So that's why I'm so interested in like... It was... It was... Uh, it, it's... Uh, so it's like if you said... If someone said that... Um, Krispy Kreme was making cars, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Then you're like, oh man, okay, this is. So there were mo- I, I've been, I've been, I've been watching Vimeo, so I'd seen them um, do all kinds of content. Right. There's no comedy, so for me, I was reluctant on whether they'll be able to, you know, do 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 comedy the same way. But you know, they've it's it's been a cool journey. How did they convince you? Um, for me, it was it's. It, it, the 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 thing that I was excited about is is the idea of being the first, mm-hmm. and also because I think that my perspective is quite different from what would exist in in other platforms. Just like the the the, the subject matter that I talk about in the in the special and my angles on the thing. Right. So it, it was when I when I thought about it, it was fitting. What, had you imagined like being on Comedy Central or HBO or what was your when you're over there in in Johannesburg? What were um, what were you imagining? Concert film, Academy nah, Awards. Well, well, no, no, no. I think, I think, I think the 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 
you obviously you would uh, you would imagine more tra- like if you have a trajectory tra- um, trajectory of yes a, a, a comedy career you kind of you follow other comedy careers mm-hmm. and um, if my comedy career will be the first one that starts off from Vimeo <laughs> right so then right. there's no I, I obviously I would um, imagine it starting from a specific maybe from the internet and then into the world that kind of stuff but Vimeo is a great platform for if it's a great platform a lot of cool things have come out of Vimeo and that's the thing that made me go oh okay this is actually a, a good platform for me to exist in but when you were a child growing up in Cape Town around Cape Town yes you couldn't have Im- imagined a comedy career at all could you because um, apart in apartheid could you have yeah, been but, a- well I the, this, when you were a kid what were was a, what I, were the options for you when you were a kid what did you what did you what did, did, did your family tell you you could do well apartheid ended when I was um nine Ten? Uh, was ninety four nine nine mm-hmm. nine ten? So I kind of felt the residuals of apartheid as as opposed to full blown living under apartheid right. and experiencing the law and having and and I mean I remember uh, that there were certain beaches where you were not allowed to, but that's a, that's a very small part of my life now that I'm thirty. Right. Right. That's, right. It's just the first third of your life. Y- yeah. 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 So. Um, when I was young, I wanted to play sport, but I don't remember a time where I was told I couldn't be anything. Okay. My mom experienced that. My mom was, she had certain ambitions and she was, those ambitions were quelled. But what did she end up doing? My mom worked at a, at a, at a bank. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, she, I mean, my mom just retired and she went back to school. So she was quite a, an academic human being, but that idea of that that part of her was squashed because she couldn't go to the universities that she I mean she she talks about sometimes even cries when she talks about this and she talks about how she was she couldn't get into this university that is a traditionally all white university in Cape Town and um it's actually quite a, a, a crazy story but she 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 experienced that kind of um Oppression, mm-hmm. as opposed to me, I I don't remember a time where I wasn't told I couldn't do anything. Maybe the the most is probably my mom not thinking comedy is a career, but she didn't think that. Right. What she, about she? She was just like, yeah, you could you could do whatever you kind of. What want. about your father? Well, my parents uh, in my teenage years were not together. Okay. So I I interacted with them differently, but my I stayed with my mom so. Um, my, most of my interactions and my guidance came from her. You were joking uh, about uh, being transferred to a school when you were a teenager, where yeah. you were finally dealing with white people and Muslims and yeah, all yeah. sorts of people. Yeah. How did that? How did that change what you thought you wanted to do with your life? Well, I, I um, from from shapes, being a kid wanting shapes, to be in sports. Well, it shapes. It, I think what it does, it shapes the human being that you are, right? And your level of tolerance and understanding of other people's cultures, as opposed to, um, because as a child you just consuming all this information and all this messaging and all this uh, all these ideas, and um, you're not you're not you're just taking them in at the times. So retrospectively, when you look at them, you go, oh, this is why I have um, this great deal of compassion to other people's 
hardships or discrimination. And because I've just as a as a as a kid been exposed to people from all races, so I don't I don't know how it shapes my career, but it shapes the way I interact with people or shaped the way I interact with people. What what kind of comedy scene did South Africa have when you were growing up? Was there one? There was one. Uh, there wasn't really one. There was a very divided one. Mm -hmm. I mean, the economics of South Africa dictate that all um, only white people have money. So what happened when it started out, it was just white audiences all over the... We only played to white audiences, and that kind of changed over time as the economy also was slowly um, filtering itself to the people. Um, of late, you, you, I, I played to very mixed crowd, but initially when I was starting out when I was 17, it was mostly white people. Even the idea that... What's, uh, even the idea of what stand-up was was really traditionally a white idea. It was a white thing. It wasn't like very, it wasn't a prevalent thing in the black community. So, were the, the were the were the were the topics inherently different then as well, in terms of what people talked about on stage or or what? If you say the idea of a comedian was white, was also the the topics that were being discussed on stage? Yeah, we discussed whatever we wanted to discuss. I don't think we held back. Mm -hmm. and we spoke about whatever we wanted to speak about. What did you What did you talk about when you were 17? What High was school stuff, mm -hmm. like city stuff. Um, commercial. I, I, I used to do a lot of impersonations of, of commercials and just, just silly frustrations that I experienced. Um, I don't even remember some of the stuff that I used to talk about. How did you get involved in it at, at such a young age? I was a, uh, I had this cool drama teacher who suggested that I do it. He just suggested it, and uh, he was like, "Hey, you should try to do stand up." And I, I fought him for a long time, and then he was, like, and then we had this thing called job shadow. Job shadow is pretty much like uh, you follow a career for a week and you mm -hmm. decide if you want to persist that. And that was part of the school curriculum to do this. So every eleventh grade. A pupil had the opportunity to, to follow a career of their choice, and then at some point, they decide whether they write up about it and they talk about it, and then they decide whether they want to do that after that week. And that's what I did. I did stand up, and then I I kind of liked it. Did you get to pick several job shadows, or could you only pick one you thing could, to shadow? You could you could, you could pick you pick one, but I think that yeah. You could you one. shadow different? No, no, no. People, you, you had to pick, pick one. one. Okay, you got to pick one. And so it's just one week of the year mm -hmm. where you do this. I thought it was a great idea. So before that, before the drama teacher, did you think you were going to be a Shakespearean actor, or what did you think? I thought I was going to play football. <laughs> but you were taking drama classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so taking drama you were, classes, but I wasn't... You were appealing to that I was, I entertainer really, in you. But I wasn't really also... I also really didn't... Um, I, I wasn't thinking too much about, like... I wasn't thinking too much about, like, what I was going to do, mm -hmm. really. It was only when I started doing stand-up where I was really sure this is what I wanted to do. Who was Everything else, I was kind of like, oh, I could do that, I could mm -hmm. do that, I could do that. But then when I did stand-up, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Forget football. Forget I still love it. But, uh, <laughs> but you don't You don't still hold dreams of... No, no, no. Right. no. Who, who did you shadow for your job shadow? Uh, there was this funny comedian called Riyad... There's a, a, a bunch of guys. Riyad Musa, Kakhizu Lidira, Tapu Mukharis, Jotel. There were like these established comedians in South Africa who still was doing great for themselves in South Africa. Were they observational comedians or what was their style? Uh, you mean all five guys? 
Yeah. <laughs> um, they or were they different? Yeah, they were all Did different. They different were like they were they were they were. I mean, each one of them had their own styles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked I liked Riyadh's style the most at the time, and I watched him a lot. I watched him more than um, I watched him more than I watched uh, the other guys. But I, I mean, observational, social commentary, that kind of stuff. What did you learn from from that? From 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 hanging out with them, yeah. I I learned, I learned, um, just the 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 building of confidence and just the techniques of writing, the actual writing process, and just but a lot of that stuff you learn from just conversation and how you feel and how the process works, and and then the older you become, you kind of go. The processes differ, and so you kind of have to pick and choose all over the place what process works for you. You were able to get on television by the time you were 19, 20? Yeah, yeah. How were you able to get on television so fast? I was good. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what, you know, I'm so unfamiliar with, with how... <laughs> how the entertainment business is structured in, in oh, South it, Africa. It's pretty, it's like, pretty young. So <laughs> that make it easier because there weren't as many obstacles as, say, trying to break through in London or in New York um, or, or Los Angeles? Um, I would say that, I mean, where I'm from, the industry is still young. Even like 20 years later after our, our first democratic elections, the industry is still young. If, you, if, you, if you're going to compare the two industries between London and New York, you're talking about industries that have existed for decades, right? right? So if you if you good in these parts of the world, you just get to plug into the system that really, that really exists. But where, when I was coming up, we were creating the opportunities ourselves. We were building the industry ourselves. We were figuring out how we were going to commercialize the idea of standing on stage and telling jokes. How are we going to convince people this is an actual thing because it sounds if you explain what stand-up comedy is to a person who's never experienced it, it's such a crazy thing to, to, to. So, what was your yeah. sales pitch? Well, it in was the just beginning? a collective idea. How how did you explain it? I mean, it wasn't <laughs> like um, it was it was just figure like. <laughs> <laughs> you, the, the, you go okay. I'm gonna have a microphone. I'm gonna be standing on no, a stage. You, and you, you, you're oversimplifying it mm-hmm. because it's a. It's not me explaining it. It's a. It's a It's it's how do you then turn an? It's it's. I need to. I need to explain this properly. You. It's um. It's trying to plug in. <laughs> it's. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, because we did we did this show called the Pure Manati Show, which was a sketch show. Now, you have, I mean, we were when we were in TV, the idea of a, of sketch comedy was also quite like a, a, a an, an, imagine like people who've come from sanctions and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. now you there's an industry that you're creating. But right. it, so it's not in the, a matter of explaining the internet comes into place. There's a lot of things that just happen and that makes this thing accessible and attainable. Were people, were you able to watch American television or British television? What? Yeah, yeah, I've always, so, I've always watched American So television. people were familiar with. Yeah, but it wasn't like mainstream. It wasn't like you'd have to, you'd, you'd find it in pockets and you had to look for it. It wasn't okay. like extremely accessible, but I've watched every, every television show Americans watch from A team to Cheers. But, but to explain like sketch comedy or satire to to your your countrymates, 
that was a different process to go, okay, we can make, we're going to make fun of life in post-apartheid South Africa. We're going to make fun of the government. We're going to make fun of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. That was a, that was a relatively new concept. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad of a child. It wasn't like this tedious thing that we were trying to do. We we Mm -hmm. just did it. And when we did it, people were either were like, "Oh, okay, this this," ha-. because people, in terms of like comedy, people relate they they relate more to comedy when they can resonate with the issue at hand. So you can have SNL, mm-hmm. and if people are if you're watching SNL from from Soweto, you're watching it, and you go, "Oh, this is funny." But if someone talks about actual, because you're talking about everything around the world, right? Now, if I talk about something that person resonates with immediately, that. I connect more than probably the biggest show, uh, um, sketch show in the world. So that's that's what it is. We just did a sketch show where the people in the country were like, yeah, we get that. And so they slowly came on board and you were like, okay, I'm now touring as a stand-up. And then they would come watch. And then we did another show, which is a satirical show. So it's, it's, so in terms of convincing people, these were the processes at hand to go, hey, we're going to do, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing mm-hmm. this, but we resonate with you. We're making this for you as as the audience. And then when you make the content for the audience, the audience goes, yeah, that's our guy, uh, or this is what we want to consume. So how many shows had you done before the late night news show? Uh, what, television shows? Yeah, I'd, yeah. Done, I'd done a lot of stuff. I'd done like game showy kind of stuff. I'd done like mildly political shows. I'd, we'd done this show called The Puminati Show. And... Um, the reason I did the late night news show, I, I remember I was like, I think I was 16, 17. I saw, I saw Bill Murr on, um, Bill Murr, Bill Murr, Bill Murr, Bill Murr, Bill Murr, Bill Murr, you can't, you can't just put an H in, <laughs> in the middle in of, in the middle of things and expect people to just know how to pronounce your name. And I, saw, I think it was about 98 or 99 where I saw Bill Murr on, uh, Oprah and mm-hmm. he, he had the show called Politically Incorrect. Or yes, before real time, before yes. yeah. And I really liked the idea of a show like that. And when mm-hmm. I was young, I wasn't even doing stand up. I was like, oh, this is such. I wish we had a show like that. And so when I was a big stand up back home, I was like, my, it kind of stuck with, at the back of my head. Okay. And it's, it, I need to do a show like that because I just like the idea of uh, delving into current affair issues. Even when I was a, a, a young man, when I was a young man, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, so I, I when when I, when I became uh, uh, a, a big comedy act back home, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to do the show that I want to do. I'm tired of doing shows that I don't want to do. So I was like, let's do this um, political satire show called Late Night News. We got two Emmy nominations out of it. We ran for like twelve seasons over a space of six years, and I, you know, had great fun doing it. And I- how was it received when it first came on the air? It was cool. I think I, uh, it was it was great. I, I, South Africa doesn't have um, those those kind of issues. I think people are kind of free to say whatever they want to say. So it's, it's was there anything like it on on no, South African? No, there was nothing. There was nothing like it. There was nothing that was saying you you had satirists who. would perform on stage and, mm-hmm. and cartoonists and that kind of stuff. But we, we didn't have a weekly show that spoke against power in that way, uh, weekly, and gave you like sort of an update of what's been happening on the week. We didn't have a show like that. So 
how do how, how do people react to you in South Africa what, what when you mean? are when you're just out and about? Are you? No, 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 no. I, I, I you don't go out. I do go out, but I'm not bothered at all. <laughs> okay. No one bothers me. No one. <laughs> no one. What? What's going on? <laughs> no. Are, are you are you treated like a celebrity when you are? Yeah. I'm a big deal at the back home. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> when was your first time in America then? Um, a couple of years ago when I, when we came for the Emmys. That was the first time. What was your impression of America when you first got here? Well, I've only been to New York, so my impression was good. I like the, I like the city. I like the city of New York. I haven't been anywhere else. Oh, okay. So, so my impression of America is only based on my experience in New York. Mm -hmm. And that's a good experience for me. What, what kind of advice have you gotten now as you're, you know, you're releasing this Vimeo special? Yeah. You're, you're hopefully going to break through with, with audiences here. What, what kind of advice have people given you or, or what have you looked to for inspiration? Um, I'm just, I'm just happy that I'm, I, I got to, uh, do some comedy that's going to be released to the world, right? Cause I always do comedy in, at home, back home. Mm -hmm. And I, that's one thing I'm, I mean, there's, there hasn't been any particular advice. I just, I just hope this, uh, advertises what the rest of the world comedians can do. There's a lot of comedians all over the world that, um, that uh that uh that are really funny and i hope i i i break i break that mold of americans just watching americans they get to watch other people as well cuz i think like there's a lot of com comedians in the world who have very interesting stories yeah right so well, i i think i i think for me that will be the that that'll be the biggest accomplishment if 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 the special uh, takes off very well. Well, that's why I asked because you know I've I've interviewed plenty of comedians from Australia or England or Europe who you know I'm I'm catching them when they first come to America and they all kind of go through the same process of they're well known where they are but then how do they get Americans to notice them? And I wonder if like any of them have been able to give you any sort of Oh no! Counsel. I think the, the in terms the of best, like the best way is just be funny as hell. <laughs> that's that's the best way for anyone to notice if you're really funny and you're mm -hmm. funny all the time and you you up operating at your optimum. I think people will notice you and and give you the necessary attention. Okay. I I I strongly believe that. But over and above that, I think people are also looking for something new to listen to. I think like the there's, there's, people, people want to hear what the person in India or Sri Lanka or Nigeria has to say. And, you know, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a South African and I'm like, I've got some, some ideas that I want to share with America in terms of humor. What, on, on the, on the flip side of that, what kind of advice, since people can listen to this from all over the world? Right. What kind of advice would you give to to a young person in a country that that still has a very young or perhaps no comedy scene? What kind of advice would you give to that young person around the world? Move to New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would say. Yeah, but do it before. Um, um, never mind. 
Uh, I was, I was, I was going to say, just hope Trump is not the president, <laughs> and then uh, the immigration laws will be chilled, and you can just come hang out in America and mm -hmm. do some stand up. But it's hard. The hardest bit is creating a scene. There's a lot right, of guys so all over the world creating the scene. I mean, I was in fin in Finland and and all kinds of places where people are, are literally creating a scene trying to create spaces where guys can come up on stage and tell their stories. So that's that's the first step, really, just create uh, a, a, a situation, an environment where people can come tell and tell their stories. Don't think big yet, like in that way, like just make it as simple as possible. People right, so don't move up. to New York today. No, no, don't. I would say that. I, would say <laughs> I mean, you haven't moved well, here. Well, the thing is, I'm not, no, no, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't moved here, not, not because of anything except that my... If I if if I move to New York, then I become a New Yorker. Right. Then my perspective is not different anymore. So then I I can't tell you different perspectives. Then you're just a regular Trevor Noah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> He's a New Yorker. Now. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's still a South African. He's right. Still a South African. <laughs> <laughs> well, Louisa, I'm 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 glad that uh, that you're still uh, you. Uniquely you. Thank you. And uh, thanks for spending some time with me. Oh, this, is, this has been fun. I appreciate it. it, it intense moments, but it was <laughs> fun. That's, that's the most fun is when it's intense. <laughs> that's how you know. Cool. <laughs> thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.